Steve Addison here for the Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going back to the No Place Left Conference in Sydney, Australia, which was held in March 2015. Jeff Sundell will update us on what he's learning about pioneering movements in a Western setting. Steve Smith is asking the questions. First big thing for us has been, um, I guess, going back to vision. And uh, and I think it's really helped, honestly, because of Ying and Steve and Bill Smith and others who've uh, visited us um, over and over again in the States is um, just the emphasis on abiding and prayer. And uh, so when I was reflecting on this, uh, there have been at least – Four major fasts. Um, so one of the first fasts that we had was um, probably early on, um, probably about four years ago. Uh, there was a group of us that fasted and prayed for um, 17 days. Um, we were having no multiplication. At that point in time, we'd gotten into homes. We'd seen some people come to Christ. Um, and a good good number of people sharing. But uh, zero multiplication. And uh, so 17 days fasting and prayer, uh, study through the scriptures about multiplication. Um, this uh, began to seem to give us some, um, some breakthroughs right after this. And I'd, I'd love to say we went back and made some major changes. The only change we made was um, sort of in our uh, Discovery Bible study when we were doing discipleship, we used the seven commands of Christ. After we gospeled somebody, um, the only major shift we did is we shift from before we'd read the story and then tell the story, and then we shifted to tell the story, then read the story, and that's it. So I don't really know that it had anything to do with our strategy as much as maybe fasting and prayer and um, just, just an awareness of God. There was sort of a shift there with folks. Um, so I think that was a huge, um, shift for a group of about 40, 40, 50 people to fast and pray like that. Um, again, another one of our big sort of, um, we had a point where there was now beginning to be multiplication. This would be about a year, year and a half later. We were seeing multiplication, uh, but no fourth generation disciples, um, uh, there were probably about 70 folks who committed to this fast in prayer, this time of fasting and prayer. Uh, this one happened to be for 21 days. Um, again, no, um, I just can't say there's any major changes. We came out other than 70 people got together, agreed, fasted and prayed. Um, again, we went through scripture, started in Gen- Genesis, went through Revelation, uh, just looking at anything related to multiplication, related to, um, uh, man, just <laughs> creation and what he said about creation and multiplication and then just looking at anything in scripture about multiplication of leadership. And, uh, but then we began to see a breakthrough. Um, first there were about three streams of fourth generation disciples, uh, in, in this coming year. Uh, Andy, Ricky, uh, Steve and Clint were some of the early ones. Um, so that was a huge breakthrough for us because then we, uh, you know, you, you get all kind of explanations why, you know, why movements or CPM or disciple making movements won't work. And this really sort of a, took it off of the 
uh, uh, you know, we could say, hey, wow, there, there is something happening here. We are seeing people come to faith who were lost, who are being discipled, who are beginning to multiply. Um, but again, I, I would go back to this timing of fasting and prayer. About this time, we're starting to have um, uh, more mid-levels. And uh, let's just say one, two mid-levels. But uh, really with Ying and um, Steve and Bill and uh, our other Bill, and I'm like, trying to think who else there was, um, some other practitioners, are, they brought a real emphasis to us about praying and abiding in Christ and praying for grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And so I think that caught on uh, across the network, the idea of more prayer. And so that was a, a, a huge thing just to have from the outside uh, encourage folks. Um, and then again, sort of our next big, um, I'd say, fast was uh, there was a group of us got together up in North Carolina in the mountains, probably about 40 of us. And uh, we asked everybody to read the Bible, read the New Testament through 10 times and fast 40 days. And uh, we thought there would only be two or three of us, but uh, um, I think everybody else just lied. But uh, Chuck Wood and a number of other guys, uh, they actually, uh, a lot of guys ended up coming because they were asked to fast and pray because of reading the scripture. And at this time, we were asking, what does a nationwide network look like that's doing T for T in the U.S.? Um, I can't say that I don't think we really figured anything out there as far as that goes, but I think the big takeaway for everybody was, hey, wow, we're not alone. So, you know, Gary up in Indianapolis was there and guys from uh, Nashville and guys from uh, Texas. And, and I think it just helped everybody realize, hey, we're not alone. And I think that was really the big takeaway of that time. Um, and, and it's probably been the big thing for any mid-level has been uh, it's great having the time studying and doing case study. But I think for folks to feel like, hey, we're not alone. We're, we're not we're not nuts, you know, and we're, we're working together. And uh, that was exciting for folks. Um, I think the other thing that's really taken to um, real hard across the numerous networks is um, essentially daily prayer for Luke uh, 10 2. And uh, that, that has really been, again, a widespread thing that's caught on in uh, a lot of places. And just, just believe in the promise is true. The harvest is plentiful, uh, but the workers do. And um, so, so I think, you know, God, I think the reminder is that God, as we pray that prayer, uh, God doesn't just send us good workers. He sends us great workers. He sends us awesome workers because our God's good. And so he sends these wonderful workers and so that we can expect them uh, to send those. Um, so that, that's, I just really wanted to emphasize, uh, prayer again, I think is, is a really key thing. The, the walking with Christ, the abiding prayer. I, I think this is now caught on in various places because we'll hear guys in Nashville are having a fast and praying time or we were just down in, um, West Palm and they're seeing generational growth in West Palm and, uh, they were having a time of fasting and prayer. Um, so again, I just think so appreciate the guys who helped in the mid levels, just emphasizing, um, methodology is great. Um, being biblical is important, but abiding and walking in Christ and just this emphasis of, um, uh, uh you know, just, uh, of going back to the father and the, the father's heart here. So, 
Um, I just I was sort of going to walk through just in the four fields, if that's helpful. That's just sort of the way I think. So I'm just sort of framing it. So just starting there with prayer. So the next thing I'll just talk about the um, widespread gospeling. Uh, there's an, there's numerous gospel presentations are getting to 4G, which is exciting. I don't think it really has so much to do with what gospel presentation as much as it seems to be uh, prayer and the enthusiasm that people actually get out and share the gospel. You know, so there's guys who are seeing multiplication for, well, Burke Wilson's seen multiplication for four years now at NC State University. He's using a bridge illustration, which is, you know, it's old, you know, but it works. You know, they, they share it. They share it often. And so people come to faith. Uh, you're just down at uh, West Palm. They're using something new called the three circles. And um, it's there. They have five streams of fifth, fourth and fifth generation disciples in October. So that's a pretty short time span between October and that was uh, April. Um, but the big thing is, again, they're sharing. They're sharing often. Um, this actually happens to be a local traditional church. Uh, prayer is a heavy emphasis. Every Sunday they're down on their knees praying for their oikos, for friends, for neighbors. But they're also they're abundantly sharing. Um, secondly, um, I, I think just that we... We want to love loud and demonstrate the love of Christ, but we also want to allow the gospel to be the filter. So we've really tried to put an emphasis that it's not our reason. It's not our ability to speak. It's not our uh, ability to influence, but it's it's literally the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is potent. The gospel is powerful. And um, so just trusting the power of the gospel. Um We've really, uh, I think the other thing in the midst of the, the gospeling is, um, uh, is using reproducing gospel tools is the emphasis that within the first 48 hours when somebody comes to faith, uh, they're equipped or they're, they're, they're modeled, assisted. They're, they're trained immediately with the gospel and, um, immediately begin practicing it. Uh, first of all, practicing it with the, the trainer I might be practicing about 10 times. Uh, with the new believer, the gospel, but then they're trying to implement sharing the gospel within the first 48 hours. Again, this would be a pretty widespread across um, uh, the network that this would be an emphasis that within the first 48 hours, uh, a gospel being trained to new believers. Uh, Jeff, hold on just a second. So, so when you yeah. say they're being trained within the four, first 48 hours, I mean, we're we're all familiar with some pretty structured, you know, discipleship programs, our church-based Sunday school programs, whatever. So, how do these guys, when they share the gospel, and you say within forty-eight hours, what does that look like? What are they doing? I mean, it's it's literally in the first forty-eight hours. They're, for example, they're making a list of all the friends they know far from God, and so they're they're list making out this list. Um, you know, so maybe five minutes ago they came to Christ. They're making their list of friends far from God. And then they're asked to pray to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit who they should share with. And then they're taught a simple testimony, um, sort of a three minute and a 30 second version. Um, just life before Christ, how you met Christ, life since Christ. Um, but then the main thing is then, then they're taught a simple gospel presentation. So for instance, um, if they were taught the three circles, um, we wouldn't just teach it. They would actually then practice it with me 
uh, at least uh, we, we, we shoot for about 10 times. So they're, they may practice five, six times me right then. Then we'll say, Hey, get down, practice with your kids, practice with a family member. But we're literally making them practice uh, right in front of us to make sure they have confidence and confidence in the gospel. Because if, if they have confidence and confidence, that's the only way I can ask them to commit to share so, so, so in other words, literally practicing right there. The evangelist then has got a commitment to hang out long enough to do that if someone comes to Christ. The first 48 hours are critical. Um, and, and if you, you, know, you wait 10 days, you can forget it. Usually no follow-up happens after 10 days. So we just found hours is just sort of a great mantra to cry out for. Uh, in, in that, is that you, you lead them to Christ, you baptize them within, a, within, an hour, within an hour, and then you get them sharing? Or what, where's that place of baptism and testimony? Could you hear that, Jeff? I did. Um, yeah, that's going to vary from place to place. Um, some of the guys literally would be. Um, I was just with a guy named Kevin, and that's literally the way it would be. Um, he would share the gospel, you know, you repent and believe in Christ, and he's looking for water. Um, but it's going to vary place to place. Um, you know, it, we emphasize baptism as soon as possible, but, um, it, it could be one day to 10 days might be a norm. But, um, yeah, it, it, it just varies across the network how people do it. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to emphasize is when, you know, they're trained in a gospel presentation and they, they, they do the practice. But the other, the other piece of this is, you got to help the seed sower grasp some identity that, you know, when he goes to share, hey, you may get some bumps and bruises. You may get some red lights. You, you know, we don't want them to think everybody's going to believe and you don't want them to think everything's going to be perfect. So, so helping create some identity as a seed sower, I think is really important. So, so they, they understand who to share with. They understand the testimony. They understand the gospel, but they also have to understand their identity and and their identity is they are a seed sower and you will get red light. The other thing, um, just, just along with this, and we found this is really helpful when we've shifted away from, um, we still name list, but we really emphasize mapping out generationally their, um, their family, their friends, their neighbors, we call it Oikos mapping. So it looks very similar to what we'd call uh, generational mapping for church planning or disciples. Right. But we, we do that. This is sort of free evangelism. Yeah. And we did. And, oh, so and that's really helpful because they can see uh, children, grandchildren, great grandchildren before they've even started sharing yet. So it really helps the prayer for folks to see where we're trying to go with multiplication. So, Jeff, let me ask you, because we did Oikos mapping when we did the Wyoom House session here training them. They made their Oikos maps. Um, how many generations are you trying to help them go out from themselves? We, we would really like them to see third, but most of the time people can get two pretty easy. But a lot of times they'll know of a third person. They just won't know them by name. So we're, we're really literally emphasizing great-grandchildren that we, we want to think on out there. But what we find is then with the weekly meetings, if they bring their Oikos map every week and we update them weekly, uh, 
Um, they can start. It just helps you pray. Uh, I don't know what the right word is. It, more intelligently, pray smarter, because now I'm praying by name. I'm asking when I meet relatives and friends, I'm asking about their friends. And, and it just helps me just to have a little more insight how to pray. And, and I think that's really the, the big thing. And then I think the other big shift we picked up from Chuck Wood was it used to be when we were doing a team, team meeting was, uh, hey, did you share the gospel five times this week? You know, and really sort of hammering one another. But Chuck helped us transition to say, pray and ask the Holy Spirit who and how many times you should share the gospel this week and then come it with God to do it. And that was another big game changer is when when you are coveting with God and you're setting up with, you know, you're working with God. Hey, I will share this many times. I will share with this person. Um, that's a big difference when it comes to accountability, you know, because you're you, you, you cut a deal with God. And so we just found that really helped because me holding somebody accountable is great. But what's a whole lot better is when God speaks to somebody and says, I want you to do this. And it's just really helpful for folks. Um, the, Steve, I guess, well, guys, the other big key for us that is, this is more of a coaching piece. Again, really related to field one and field two is you got to watch people's oikosis. And uh, especially if you have an area where there's a number of Christians, um, a lot of times Christians' oikosis can get wiped out pretty quick. And um, they're not very good at furthering them. And, and so what we've had to do is just sort of you give oikos a certain amount of time and then you got to introduce the house of peace. But I always run with oikos first and then then help transition. them. But the same way, even with a new believer, once a new believer begins to share through his oikos and, and maybe he starts getting stuck five, six weeks down the road, I may need to help take him out, go two by two and sort of demonstrate person of peace or house of peace. So they don't get stuck too long. Um, some people have huge oikoses and they, they're, they're fine and they keep adding to that. If you, if they keep adding, then man, don't, don't introduce it. But if they get stuck, then somebody, you got to take them out and show them how to do the person of peace and, and they'll need help. You got to go model that. And so you got to really be listening in that first third when you're updating the oikos map, making sure they're not stuck and then help them intentionally get unstuck. Jeff, let me ask you this, um, because some some of the folks know that the people they're training, their Oikos maps, there's virtually no one lost or no one far from God in it. Would you suggest yeah. starting off with a House of Peace search at that point? Yeah, that's that's what we're sort of doing, because in, in our context, a lot of times we, we try and have it happen two days, two ways. One is let's start out Oikos. But if they're, if they don't have it, then what we try and do is, as a missional community or a life group or a small group of disciple makers, we try and go out together in a group and do a house of peace search. And, and that really helps people that they're going out with other people. It emboldens them a bit. Um, of course, the other thing is it's been a surprise is, you know, everywhere we go, they'll say, Oh, that house of peace search thing, it won't work here. Well, they told us that, you know, West Palm, Florida is the most recent one. There's no way it'll work in West Palm, Florida. You know, it's the, um, the wealthiest zip code in the world. There's no way you'll get into a home in West Palm Beach. And anyhow, they've gotten into homes and people come to faith. So, um, it's, it's, 
there's got to be a way contextually find the person of peace, the house of peace in any context. And so, but yeah, I, I think you got to transition fairly quickly to a house of peace search, um, person of peace search. Let's do this. Field three, field four, Jeff. Uh, let's just see if there's any questions about field one, field two stuff. Yeah, Gerard. From the, the house of peace that's connected to door knocking, where you go to people's home, and um, are there other strategies more yeah. like to find the person of peace? Uh, yeah, Jeff, the door knocking is a big question mark here, and we're not saying it won't work. There's a lot of guys that are already trying it and, and doing it. Are you finding persons of peace through other mechanisms besides going house to house? Yeah, well, uh, we've had the same problem, I mean, as far as that goes. But the one that definitely works is passions, you know. So when we make our Oikos map, we, we put passions. And we find if guys work, guys and ladies, families, if they work their passions, they can. that's another way to find the person what of do, peace. What do you mean by passion? Passions. What do you mean by that? Um, well, for instance, Cody Pinkney, um, pastor at Desiring God Church, he's one of those guys, you know, his Oikos is pretty limited to the church. So he hooked up with a group of guys that are riding bicycles, and he rides bicycles, bicycles anyhow. So him and two Christian guys going, joined a group of about 15, 16 other guys, and they're just sharing their testimony and sharing the gospel. And actually through that, um, Cody's been able to work his way back um, with one particular guy who's had some curiosity. It actually started out, Cody was a, um, when he shared his testimony, he, he talked about when he was a, uh, doctor in economics. He's a PhD in economics. So anyhow, that's, that was sort of the inroads. And since then he's, he's built that. So we've seen, uh, built that relationship with this man. So we've seen passions is another real good way, um, to find the persons of peace. Um, it's it just, sometimes it's just, how do you way back to the home? Um, or how do you, or you go to a third place to, you know, one obvious thing is if you can't go to the home first, go to a third place, find a third place you can meet, you know, so you're riding bicycles, so let's go to Starbucks afterwards, or let's go down a local pub, or whatever that may be. Okay, good. Other, yeah. Um, sorry, just to go back to your Oikos map, a bit hard of hearing. Um, when you draw your Oikos map and we get them to go to their first person out from their, the, the center of the Oikos map, did you say if they don't get anywhere with that, they go down the line a bit as well, further? You said three generations, or just draw the map three generations? Um, no, no, it really would be, that would just be more for prayer. You'd yeah. be praying down generationally. Because right. you. Um, you would, really what you'd want to do is pray and see that person come into the kingdom, and then that person goes down to the second generation or third generation. Um, yeah, back in the back, yep, Bob. Okay, so talk to us a bit, a bit about how the House of Peace searches have worked. Someone goes to a door, what are they actually doing and what's working? Yeah, um, one, one thing, of course, really helpful is if you have somebody who's basically somewhere in the proximity of that neighborhood, they're from that area. So one, that's really helpful. Um, that's not always the case. Um, the, the first thing really is, um, I think one is just over the area ahead of time in advance before you go out. So put some time of prayer, um, sort of canvas the area, pray through it, pray over the area. And then essentially 
what we're finding works pretty well is um, just just coming up, knocking the door, and just introduce ourselves. Um, and just we're we're offering a gift in our case, so uh, it's not uncommon, you know, here among neighbors, you know, where you could go and take a gift to somebody. And so you take a gift and just say, hey, here's a gift. It could be something that you made. If people are concerned about things you make, what we've been doing is uh, cards, like a uh, a local ice cream place or a local Starbucks. And we get a, you know, a gift card and just say, hey, here's a gift. I just want to let you know we care about you, care about our community. And that's that's sort of our introduction. And we would, of course, try and get an introduction from them. In the first meeting, the only thing we're really trying to see is if we can pray for them. So we just tell them, hey, we're, we would like to pray for people in this community. Is there any way we can pray? And, and then we just sort of see what kind of response we get. Sometimes you get, you know, you get the red light. Hey, man, I don't want any of that. And, you know, and you can just, well, hey, man, hey, we appreciate you. If you see us around, just, just know we're praying and then you, you can walk away. But then what we're looking for is somebody who would let us pray. And, and there's, there's two is one, they give you a really good response and then to essentially say, Hey, can we pray right now? And, um, and then just, just say, Hey, I won't embarrass you. I'm going to keep my eyes open. I'm going to pray a short prayer and just ask for God to meet this need. Now, if, if I don't get a really good prayer request, I may press a little harder with a second question and just say, Hey, is there something, um, if you could ask God to do something in your life that uh, you really need to see him do, what would it be? And if so, can I pray for you? Or the way I like to say it is if you could ask God for a miracle, uh, what would it be? And if so, can I pray for you? And so I personally like to ask the miracle question, but all we're looking for is to see if they let us pray. And then it, it varies from place to place. A lot of times we would just immediately go ahead and share our testimony right then and possibly uh, the gospel. Um, a, a, other of our friends, what they're doing is they're waiting about 10 days and they're waiting 10 days and then they're going back only to the homes that let them pray. We're, we found both works. Um, it probably in the more uh, middle class, upper middle class, it does seem to work better maybe to wait um, 10 days just so there, that people don't feel like there's a bait and switch with the gift or something like that and just allow the, the gift to sort of uh, marinate and let the prayer marinate and see what God does then come back 10 days later share your testimony, share the gospel uh, that's primarily how we're, how we're doing it um, so I don't know if that was real clear but the prayer thing is how can I pray in the community first if I get a good prayer response, I pray. If I don't get a real good prayer request, I ask, is there something personally you could ask me to pray for? And just to give you an example, they were, uh, Brook Hills Baptist Church was, uh, door knocking two weeks ago. Um, knocked on a guy's door, asked him the, uh, told him they were about prayer walking and praying in the community, asked him the miracle question. Uh, he's a former soldier. He, he had prayed the day before. Um, that God would send somebody to help him because um, he was sick and tired of this life. And so they ended up, you know, of course, in this case, they ended up leading the guy to Christ. But they, literally what he was looking for was prayer. And so they've gotten in his home and are discipling him. So, again, you just never know when God's going to just totally set you up, like in this case, um, where they were knocking on a door and the guy's prayer literally was send somebody to pray for me. 
So that happened two weeks ago in uh, well, somewhere down in Alabama. Okay, so. we're going to ask one more question, then I'm going to let you kind of keep going through your things. But you had a question here. Yeah. Um, for guys who aren't quite as bright green light as that, um, like that guy in the Army just shared, if there's a bit more of a yellow light, what are your next steps 10 days later or um, there and then at the door? Um, what are the yellow light follow-ups look like for you guys? Yeah, um, the, the yellow light essentially... Um, Let's just say you've shared your testimony or if, you know, you've got a clear indication it seems yellow. You know, what we're going to do is ask one more question. So they've clearly given a, no, I'm not ready to receive the gospel or, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. So you're debating, are they red or yellow? And then you just ask them one more, conver- more question. Hey, could we come back and could we share a story with you or could we talk spiritual things? Whatever the contextual correct way to ask that question is. And, and essentially just asking if we can come back. And then the story sets, they vary from place to place. So like in Austin right now, we're going to do a training this week. They're working in an immigrant community. They're using more of a creation to Christ over 11 weeks. Suburbia, um, uh, highly religious areas, so let's say high church type areas. Like we have, a, we have a strong Hispanic community in our area which tend to be very religious people. Um, the Seven Stories of Hope is something we've used there. Um, the Seven Stories of Hope have worked well in the suburban areas where you have uh, more of a postmodern context. So we vary the story sets according to the people. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. But the good news is Jeff is coming back for another installment in the next uh, Movements podcast. In the meantime, why don't you jump on the website at movements.net where you can search and find some of the uh, previous updates that Jeff has done about pioneering movements in a Western setting. And I'm going to suggest if you're already out there making disciples and you've got some co-workers, why don't you get together, have a listen to some of these podcasts and work out what you're going to do next. I'm Steve Addison and this has been the Movements Podcast.